He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to week 137 of Good Talk Spoiled Golf Podcast. I'm James Richardson and I'm joined as always by Barry O'Hanron. Hey Barry. Hey James. Hello listeners. Um, anybody who wants to get in contact with us, the Twitter handle is a Good Talk Golf and the email is a Good Talk Spoiled at gmail.com. And uh, there was a bit of tweeting going on over the weekend, Barry, by yourself down in the west of Ireland. A little bit, just a, just a just a sick brag, you know. Down in Carn, one of our favourite courses. So um, a few of the listeners are tweeting back in, which is uh, which is always good fun to have. Uh, we were very focused on our golf and the U.S. Open. Yeah, so we're going to get on to the U.S. Open in, in in due course after the news. But I suppose let's start with our own games, and it was the annual pilgrimage to the west of Ireland to Bell Mullet and to Carn Golf Club for the Shell Pro-Am. Um, Pilgrimage is a good word. It, it, it implies is because, you suffer a little bit. Yeah, suffers. Uh, there's a few prayers both before, during and after. Ball flight. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you got down Thursday. Uh, I didn't get down to late Friday, so I missed practice day. Mm. So you headed off with Mark O'Mahony, who was our pro for the weekend uh, from Titleist and... Uh, Carton House and you were joined by another pro on the day yeah Brian Dohany um, so how did you get on we we played golf um, I don't really remember I, I heard I heard rumour in the bar on Friday night that uh, you might have had to have run back to the car to get a couple of extra golf balls on the turn I lost a few on Friday. I did. I did. A few? A few. I heard it was over half a dozen. No, I'm, I'm going to cap it at six. I think... Uh, men, All right, yeah. so just the half dozen. Just just the solid half dozen, yeah. Um, my only consolation was I was striking it very well, just in extremely disas- Wrong direction. disastrous <laughs> directions. Yeah, <laughs> hitting it flush, but very far wide. So um, we played the back nine and then a kind of a mini loop of five on the front nine just to not... Uh, not not get too tired out for the Saturday and just kind of feel your way back into the course and um the back nine in Carn is is the tougher nine it's the yeah. sand dunes it's tighter it's it's more picturesque I think that even if people play just the the front nine it's standalone a good nine holes but when you pair it to the back nine it's always being kind of wow the back nine is really where Carn in my opinion kind of excites more than necessarily yeah, yeah, it's it's a little bit more extreme, and it's uh, up, you know, it's altitude changes, and the uh, I suppose if you're going to rank, you know, holes on memorability, there will be more memorable holes in the back nine versus the front nine. That's not to as as we say every year. That's not to discredit the front nine. It is a fantastic nine holes, but the back nine is just this is so special. Also, and you took my slope finding uh laser by bushnell that takes in the the elevation changes and uh-huh. um, this was the first time that we've had it for the benefit of Carn because there's a lot of holes particularly say 11 there's a huge drop from the very big elevated t right down to the fairway the 16th as mm. well in terms of the review because you haven't used that bushnell of mine in terms of the slope mode because it's we've obviously been in competition and mm-hmm. it can't be 
how did you find it? Did you did you think that it, over the course because we obviously made well I say we you made notes for us to use over the weekend helpful to know that you know on some holes you were adding seven ten twelve yards to to the distance. Did oh, you see so. the difference over the, compared to last year when we yeah. didn't know it? Were you a bit more comfortable on say a couple of holes that? I think I think the great thing about it is it takes the guesswork out of it. It takes that little bit of doubt that you have in your mind whether, you know, a couple of holes were 10, 12 yards and adjusted difference for yardage. So whereas before you're kind of just plucking a, a figure out of the air, which is probably not far off it, but it's really good to have the accurate data. It gives you the confidence that I know if I hit this club and adjusting obviously you can't you know the, the wind is the wind and you have to just take a get your best guess of that whether it's a two club or three club or a four club wind at times um but knowing the yardage to exactly helps your confidence and takes one of those uh, possible doubts out of your mind so i thought it was really good um it took me a couple of holes to get used to the slope yeah. feature i thought that the big number in the middle that it showed would show you the adjusted yardage and didn't look at the smaller figure beneath which showed you the actual adjusted yardage so these it was a you would have thought like Bushnell did try to make it as simple as possible, but obviously they no, need Bar- to dumb it down even Barry more. Barry has a <laughs> remarkable com- uh, ability to complicate things. So, so moving on, then Saturday we start. We're off. We did. We played actually one thing I will mention probably uh, more a lot more memorable than my awful uh, ball losing golf on Friday was we uh, when we came around to the first there was a, a lovely guy by the name of George Seagraves from the states who. Uh, was on his own so he joined up with us for uh, for the front nine and he has come over to Ireland for the summer uh, based himself in Sligo and he seems highly intent on playing pretty much most golf courses along the west coast oh, that's um, not a bad place to go play golf and we had we had a great chat with him Love, lovely guy um, you became a five ball at one stage I heard we we did actually on the back nine yeah there were two guys there was a two ball behind us Actually, five and six balls were quite common that day because <laughs> play slowed up and apparently five or six pros took off together at one off the off yeah, the tees. Yeah, I heard it was a bit messy. All right, so it got a bit slow. Out. Yeah, so we got to the fifteenth tee. Uh, we'll go back to George. Like we got up to the fifteenth tee and two guys were behind us. They were going to be waiting. We hadn't teed off. Mark said, "Lads, you want to just join up?" And off we went. Um, and yeah, just finish out the last few holes with them. It's no big deal. Off you go. I mean, it's yeah. It, sure, as long as it, as long, I've never been of the belief that look if if if. You can play an eight ball as long as you're staying through the pace of play. It doesn't really matter. Now. Yeah. Obviously, you wouldn't, but it'd be a bit tricky know. to play an eight ball. But like, yeah. you know, it's as long as you're keeping going and the course hasn't slowed to a point where you're taking the pace, then it's. I don't see a problem with it. But anyway, it's very relaxed down there on the Fridays. But so George is going to head off and play the West Coast from Donegal down to Cork and every try to get as many of the top courses as he can along the west coast yeah well i mean the first thing that kind of caught my eye was uh how much that will cost no well <laughs> well absolutely i didn't even want to start running the calculations and the iphone calculator doesn't go that wide um no but the first thing that caught my eye was george had the pxg irons so uh okay so he can afford to go down the coast and spend as long as he wants george george retired a year and a half ago so uh well earned i'm sure and what are the px irons like in in real life they, i assume you had a good look at them i had a good look at them yeah um from from my eye the top line is probably a bit thick on them um 
but they they sounded really good. He seemed very happy with them. He played after seven lost golf, sorry, six lost golf balls on Friday. Maybe the the bigger, thicker top line might be helpful. No, 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 no. It was mostly driver that was uh, the ball, the ball killer. Um, <laughs> so until Saturday, yeah, yeah. I didn't lose that many over the weekend, but um, certainly not the levels of Friday. So ask him a bit about the PXG clubs and. We found out a little bit about where he plays his golf in the states, and he was. Uh, turns out he's a member of Shady Oaks, so which was uh, you know Ben Hogan, and so he started. He told us loads of great stories about you know the loads of the old sets of Ben, you know clubs that Ben Hogan has in it. How you know what the course is like. They have uh, his old locker there in a glass case, and yeah, so it was a nice big chat about kind of the history of golf, and he was he was very um, he was quite a technical player as well, so he really understood the. The golf club fitting and himself, Mark and Brian got along like a house on fire when it came to that uh, that level of detail when it, on club fitting. So I'm sure um, you joined in on the conversation, even if you didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, no, I actually <laughs> shut up and listened to this one because I would have been yeah spoofing an awful lot more than usual to to try get involved in that. But yeah, lovely guy, and I'm sure I did actually unfortunately didn't bump into him over the rest of the weekend to share again. Was he playing golf? He was he was, in the in the pro am or he, was he, he just... was there to play the pro am? He had just put himself down to play the pro am and was joining up with whoever he joined up with, nice. and he would have got on like a house on fire with anyone because it's the way to live life, isn't it? You know, it's uh, it's definitely um, basing yourself in Sligo for the summer in Ireland to play a lot of golf. I think he's on a winner. So, the reason why we spent probably more time on the Friday is because uh, Saturday Sunday was uh, so I haven't played golf in a month. Yeah. I turned up late after a long week of work at half ten on Friday. I had a few drinks. I hit, I think, three putts on the putting green. I walked straight to the first tee and hit a drive. And mm. that was the first ball I had hit. For the fact that I hadn't played for a month, I actually think I played pretty well for the most part. There was a few holes that, thankfully, other people picked up the slack on. But for the most part, it was in play on most holes and yeah, for, a month, for a month off it was um, a solid performance this year compared to other years I felt that we never quite not only as a team but just generally I felt it was all a bit stop start we never quite got going and it was it was a tough yeah. tough weekend of which you know we didn't really post anywhere close to what we normally would down there I think I thought we, I, I, the really tough thing okay Saturday was overcast Loads of clouds rolling across, misty rain, low clouds like rolling across the golf course. You know, pushed Heavy by wind. pushed by thirty five kilometer an hour winds. So you know, on some holes, this was three, four, five clubs. If you're, it was into your face. It was, it was very, very tough. So, um, we we did struggle putting. Up, putting was very, it was very difficult to hold putts when the wind is like that. That said, the greens in Carn were some of the best links greens I've ever put on. They were beautiful like they looked gorgeous they rolled really well i don't think i held a putt all week from you know any half decent distance mm. to put a score no. like that was my biggest problem over the weekend i just could not and the, the the third in our group admitted halfway through i think day one or certainly by day two said to me to be honest i haven't been able to read a green all week yeah yeah he's like i that so I'm just now hitting it straight at the hole because I've, I've lost complete confidence. Yeah, and like in a team event, we probably should, you know, you don't want to just go pushing your help on them. Say, do you want to handle the reading the greens? Because sometimes people don't like that. But you know, maybe there's a there's a lesson to be learned in there in a team event that if somebody is struggling with reading the greens and getting the ball within two foot of the hole either side, 
You know, if he's getting the distance okay, that's fine. But you know, if they're missing it by two, three foot wide of the hole, then there's something missing there, and there's a there's a team effort can be made to help with the read, maybe. So we love going to pro ans. We play quite a few of them mm. over the course of the last number of years, and there'll be a few more, I'm sure, over the next couple of months. What is the one thing that you took away from this weekend, watching either the pros or the game itself? What's the one thing that you came home with and went, do you know what? Actually, that's, that's a really good lesson that I've learned watching Mark or the pros or whoever. Like you played, obviously, with, with the other guy, Brian or Barry or whatever his other name was. Do you know what? I, I, on, a, on tough day, I think the best lesson I, from, I took from this weekend is to not let the bad conditions beat you into a bad mood or a bad hole or two. You know, when the momentum's gone against you, I think it's even more important to maintain positivity and try have fun. And when you're in a team environment, you know, if a little bit of a downer vibe comes along, which which did happen in our group because we weren't scoring well, we weren't making putts, and we weren't. Going I was in a great to... mood all weekend because, to be honest with you, I didn't give a flying s yeah. uh, all day um, on all weekend. So I just played, yeah. and I didn't care what my score was in the end. Yeah, I just I think it's really uh, really important to maintain as high a level of fun and relaxation about about the thing. And you know, you're out playing golf when you could be working. You know, so. Um, I, I think you know when you get down a bit it can affect your game and the game of everybody around you and look we've discussed this about me in the past when I used to get into horror moods on the golf course and it affected playing partners and um, thankfully I think I've, I've learned that I'm never walking uh, ahead of you on a golf course oh yeah I did. I've also uh, learned uh, by watching you uh, on a putting green to make sure that I don't stand towards the exit where a golf ball might go flying past my ankles uh, after a bad temper, so I I took those two things this weekend. That, uh, Are we just gonna start shitting on each other? Because I well, can, I can go hard. Like. I didn't I didn't hit you. Uh, I, didn't I didn't hit anyone. You, uh, well, <laughs> that was close. Yeah. Um, um, right. I don't know. Look, yeah. So Saturday was brutal. We didn't play well. We went out and had a rake of points on Saturday night in the really cool little bar on the main street in Belmullet called McDonald's, uh, also affectionately known by the locals as the Lobster Pot because once you go in, it's very hard to escape. And Sunday, Sunday we, had a lot, you know, was a lot better. We got some sunshine. The winds were a little slacker, and we scored better. So, um, you know, not not the greatest year ever in Carn, and hopefully the next one will be better. Nope, I went out till five thirty in the morning and got pissed. It was a great weekend in Carn. You just didn't get pissed enough. You're usually like I'm usually no. I think I got me. through that point. I think there was the sweet spot was about kind of. 334 o'clock until Mark bought a double Jaeger bomb and uh, yeah that was that was when the the downhill started right let's move on that's Karn um, let's look at a bit of news I suppose the biggest one that has come out this week is that after 25 years and 41 victories Bonesy and Phil Nicholson are going to part ways um, interesting that it's happening now I suppose um, you know we know that they've been lifelong friends. Like this is mm. something that this isn't a decision that is acrimonious in any way. Do you think this is Bones, you know, still wanting to kind of have, is this Phil maybe slowing down and saying to Bones, go off and find another bag and enjoy the rest of the career. Or is it just needing another voice after 25 years? It just seems a bit strange mid season kind of out of nowhere. This wasn't, even flagged as something that might have come down the line. Yeah, I mean, why would they give advance? I don't know. Why would they give advance notice of it? Like Bones was 
Wenzel had uh, surgery last year in his knees, so maybe maybe he's finding it tough. Carrying think. all that cash after twenty five years, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all the gambling cash for the Tuesday games. You well, know? I heard during the week that like it's pretty well accepted that this can't be about money because Bones is paid way over the odds by Phil. Oh god, yeah. like way over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like this isn't a cash thing by any stretch. No, and I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a bad blood split. It certainly doesn't feel like that. Um. Maybe Phil is trying to just spice things up a little bit for and and see can you know it's an a, Indian summer type yeah idea. like a little bit of new blood on the bag will give him a fresh kind of impetus or something I don't know it's um look if it's if it's for the best for the two of them and they feel like it's it's going to work out a little bit better and they can remain of course they're going to remain friends then like if it's a win win then so why Phil's already it? admitted said that. Uh, he's he's already arranged somebody to carry the bag now. I think is it his brother-in-law is, mm-hmm. is going to do it. Um, no n- noise yet as to where Bones might be going, uh, whether or not what bag he's going to pick up. He's obviously going to be wanted by anybody who's looking for a carry. Like he's with the experience and the expertise. If he wants a top top player, he's going to get a top player. There's I think no so, there. and I think you're going to hear that joke from every single player in an interview this week at the Travelers on the BMW. Uh, you know, oh yeah, I've been joking with my caddy that I've been talking to Bones. So like, they'll all want him. Um, to be honest, um, I thought the, the the funniest thing about the 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 two splits that they've had, the split and the uh, statements they released was that uh, Bones tried to give his veto to... No, I uh, saw that, yeah. And uh, Phil said vetoes are non-transferable. So uh, if anyone doesn't know, uh, Phil gave Bones one veto every year and Bones could tell Phil, you cannot play this shot. And uh, Phil had to do whatever Bones said the shot was. And uh, one of the better ones that he ever used was Bones tried to tell Phil to play a particular shot at an open championship. And Phil said "Those uh, the vetoes aren't international, they're only domestic. <laughs> Yeah, well, but I think I think look, we we talked about it last week about the importance of caddies in 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 big tournaments, and twenty five years has clearly been uh, a success for them. And um, it will be interesting to see, as you say, ultimately in hindsight, it's the only way we'll be able to look back on it. Was it the right move for Phil? Was it not? Um, but look, it's it's interesting, and I suppose it's. It's one of those stories that, uh, you know, you kind of nearly wait for the autobiography to find out the truth um, as to the, the real story, if there is a real story. That would be a great read if the two of them kind of contributed to an autobiography and you go like chapter on chapter and they're yeah, both well, different takes you know, on it. it, would, be a, it would certainly be a, an interesting 25 year um, history to go through. Let's talk about something also fairly fundamental this week, the changes coming to golf this was discussed last year by us around the Olympics. Um, Dustin Johnson in the past, a lot of in, you know concerns about you know drug taking, performance enhancing, the lack of a real robust um, drug taking kind of analysis by the the tour. Mm. That's all now going to change. They're going to fall in line with kind of the WADA protocols. They're going to announce when people fail, who they are, and why they failed. And how long they're out for. And, and how they're going to, you know, the suspensions. Um, big changes for golf. Um, you know, a lot of questions, a lot of kind of undercurrent of kind of what's going on. Are they on beta blockers? Are they on this? Are they on that? It's going to make for interesting reading over the next number of years to see really has it been 
going on or is it or is this not the, as is, bad as people have been kind of whispering under the or if it is breath. going on is this the point at which it stops well it has to now stop because if it has been they, they're now at risk mm-hmm. you know there are genuine risks that if it has been occurring they would be foolish to continue it and um, good good idea you know we've talked in the past you know i, I kind of felt previously you've said on the fence about the idea of naming and shaming um but is it a good idea? No, I think it's is... a great idea to name and shame. Okay. I may have changed tact from previously. Like I don't. Re- I don't particularly remember what a, what I said when we did our drug episode. But uh... all right. Well, look, it's a good idea now, and and we we will look on. Um, Leona Maguire just looking locally, and I think we need to to mention this. She is currently the world's number one women's amateur. She's just picked up the British Women's Amateur Open. At the weekend she's 22 she's from Cavan she's now deemed as pretty much unquestionably the most dominant player in women's amateur golf at the moment she's just picked up for second time in three years the American uh, women's amateur golfer of the year she's moving out of collegiate golf she just won the Annika uh, award she's going to move out of collegiate golf and amateur status and move in somebody to watch going forward mm. this she looks the real deal she's 99 weeks up to this week as uh world number one amateur lydia ko is the only person ahead of her on that list of all time we know what lydia ko has done two-time major winner 14-time winner on the lpga it would be fantastic for you know irish golf as well women's golf if somebody like mcguire can go on her sister lisa's no 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 uh, you know, no player that's going to be able to. We're going to cut this bit out. No, we're leaving it in. Lisa's <laughs> is obviously going. She's on a as cracking well. golfer She's a as well. Golfer the two well. of them are so just like, superb. Yeah. You know, this is it's great for Irish golf, and to see it now transferring into the women's game is is great. Yeah, it's, it's great to see the efforts put in by the GUI and the ILGU in particular here in this case to all the efforts put in over the years are coming into fruition and the girls are doing great out there and to have uh, to have somebody from our little island you know being top ranked amateur in the world is uh, is brilliant just uh, shows the strength of Irish golf and long may it last and hopefully continue uh, strengthening for forever and ever right we've waited long enough US Open review um, Brooks Kepka one game over yeah in the end wins by four 16 under from Brian Harmon Matsuyama Fleetwood was a further shot back. Um, I have mixed reviews on this because ultimately at the end it was a bit of a counter for him and that's not any disrespect to Brooks. He, he won it. He did what he had to do. I just felt that it all fell a little flat. It just didn't quite ignite as it should and with the big names ultimately kind of falling away over the certainly the first couple of days and then mm. pretty much huge amount of the big names not even staying around for the weekend i just don't know i i i, I nearly felt it with i heard somebody say during the week it felt more like a, nearly a regular tour event than a big major and i don't know if i agree wholeheartedly with that but i don't know if i'll ever look back on this particular event and go wow that was a classic Hmm. It's it's a hard one to it's a hard one to like. I think I think you got to start at the course because the course is where it all took place. Um, 
I thought the course was really interesting. I loved the ideas they had in the course. I, we talked a little bit about it in advance and we pointed out some of the bunkers looked were a bit ridiculous when the little thin strips they had and some of the the thin strips were crazy and that you couldn't actually play a shot onto the green from them in, in certain situations and lies. Now, in other situations, they led to some really interesting bunker shots. I remember Ricky playing one with one foot above his head almost and having to go through the grass on the way back and through the grass on the way down, which was the grass outside the bunker, and uh, played a brilliant splash shot. Um, that one stuck out in my mind in particular. So, to... In well, it made act- the bunkers a punishment. Oh, yeah. You know, like, they had to now not just aim for the bunker because that mm. was the easy location. Yeah. Like, now, all of a sudden, they actually have to stay away from it mm-hmm. because it was a genuine hazard, which could have led, as it did, to some players over the course of the yeah. week. Five, six, seven, eights on the card. Um, like, the... The fairways were plenty wide. There was plenty of playability in them, and aided by the load of rain they had in advance of the tournament, which softened up the course and stopped the ball running out further than it would have, which would have brought some of the, which would have effectively narrowed the fairways. Um, so I think the USGA got done a little bit by the the pre-tournament weather conditions, and it wasn't exactly as they would have liked. It had the knock-on effect that it softened the greens. They weren't mm-hmm. as fast as they wanted. And yeah. it, that can be, at times in events like this, the, the, the big leveller for the, the big players, mm-hmm. the better players who can put exceptionally well on really fast greens and they enjoy them more than maybe the slower greens. And it's not their fault. Look, they got a deluge of rain. The course was the course. N- nature dictated um, this is the way the course is going to play this week. Not, it wasn't a US Open type course. It, it didn't play like a US Open type course yeah I don't we're kind of out of a mode of we seem to be hitting a few non-traditional venues with Chambers Bay and now this you know we had Oakmont last year um, Shinnecock's coming up so they, they seem to be chopping in a few new a new a few new venues and trying to they seem to be trying to find their the identity for this tournament at the moment they're a little bit kind of lost in it I do I do like what this course did and I think I think the thing that's kind of might be freaking people out a bit about it is that the winning score was 16 under, which matched Rory's score at Congressional, which was a superb score. But I think what people are forgetting is that this course was quite polarizing in what it did to scoring. So it allowed you to score very, very well in it, but it also punished players quite extre- quite extremely. And we saw some of the top players in the world finish numerous shots over par. Um, you know, we lost Rory, um, we lost Jason Day early on. Uh, you know, there were some big, big scores going on out there. So I, I, I think what this course did was it allowed the field to spread out an awful long distance from top to bottom rather than keeping them a little bit more bunched, you know, at the top, uh, which US Opens could tend, could tend to do in the past. So in that respect, I think it was actually a really good success uh, in terms of a tournament. Scoring was available if you were playing well, and if you weren't playing well, you got punished. And I think that's I think that's a pretty good balance. A little bit of tweaking can happen, but I think that's a pretty good uh, bit of chemistry for a tournament. So, before we go to the positives, let's look at the negatives. Mm-hmm. A lot of the big players, as you say, gone by the weekend. Jason Day, Rory, you know, like you could go through a whole lot of them. Um, Sorry, I've gone through some of them. John Ram, who we said last week was somebody who might have had a chance. Might need to work on his mental game a little bit. Yeah, Dustin Johnson gone, Molinari gone, Thomas Peters was gone. 
you know, Henrik Stenson went, uh, Fisher, Davis, you know, Justin Rose. Scott, Justin Rose. Like, these are big, big names. And then even the ones that did kind of make it through, they were all bunched down the end. You know, like Lee Westwood was kind of down, just getting through the cut, didn't do anything over the weekend. Shane Larry as well. It was all just, I don't know, it was just, when you lose a lot of the those, you know, the names that we've just given out, mm-hmm. it, it led to a lot of guys, you know, and it laid, gave a lot of chance to the likes of, you know, um, Brooks or to Brian Harmon or Matsuyama Fleetwood, other names to come to the top. Did it make the tournament or did it detract from the tournament to lose the Rory's, to lose the Rams, to lose the Dustin Johnsons? Like, you know, would it have been better, obviously? Like, we want to see the best players rise to these occasions. It's a major that really didn't have those big, big names at the top for any length of time, other than Ricky, who we'll come yeah. on to in a second. It is what it is, you know, the, the tournament date is set a long time in advance, the players know when they have to peak, if they don't come into the tournament and peak on Thursday through Sunday, you're not going to be there contending at the end, and that's a failing of theirs. Of course we want to see a few of the bigger, more recognised names in there, they generate excitement because they win a lot of tournaments, we'd love to see Rory and Day and Johnson and Spieth and all up there, uh, in an ideal world, you start them all on Sunday at the same score and just go, go for it, guys, shoot out. But you know, that's not the way golf tournaments break down. It's unfortunate. And I think I think what you lose a little bit in, in terms of the excitement for a tournament actually comes through the commentators. And the commentators get more excited when those big names are there. And that then impacts upon how you will feed off a tournament and how, it's, how it is. Um, but what was there in front of us was some absolutely sensational golf. Well, let's talk about Brooks because he is the US Open champion. So rather than talking about the guys that weren't there, let's talk mm-hmm. about the guys that were. Ricky Fowler obviously set the pace on, on, on Thursday. Um, you know, 65, superb scoring on, on, on day one. 73, 68, 72. The two, one over and then level par just isn't going to get it done. No. Not not only at this event, but pretty much in any event. You, you know, it's it's not going to to lead you to win it. Brooks, on the other hand, 67, 70, 68, 67. You know, broke par every day. The only guy uh, to do that in the field as well. And, and ultimately, sometimes you see these guys go out for the last 18 and they play very within themselves. They play nearly conservatively. This guy went out and shot six, yeah, five under. Mm-hmm. You know, like he didn't just nurse his way around this. Like he went out and won that tournament by posting a good number on Sunday, which in itself, you'd off the cap and say, hey, look, five under, one of the best rounds, other than, I think, Matsuyama, who had six under, he had the best, uh, second lowest score of the day. Um, that was it. Like, he absolutely crushed it on Sunday. He just dominated it. I mean, he put in a performance that, if Dustin Johnson or Rory or Speed or Day put in this performance on a Sunday, the whole golf media would be waxing lyrical about it and they wouldn't stop talking about it playing replays, showing every single shot and stat. But because he's not one of those names, it just kind of goes, ah, he played, very, he played very well. There is one person that you know who has been waxing lyrical about Brooks. A little bit, yeah. So a um, friend of mine and uh, we'll call him a friend of the podcast. Yeah, friend of the podcast, Paul Malloy, is a massive Brooks Kepka fan, kind of on you know the levels that I'm a Henrik Stenson fan. So... Some might call it an obsession. Some might call it a restraining order. It's you know it's it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but um, 
Paul's, um, let's say, love of Brooks Kepka started back in 2013 uh, when he was agonising over his fan- final uh, fantasy golf selection a couple of minutes before midnight. And uh, he came across Brooks Kepka, who he'd never heard of. And so he decided to take a punt on him. He was like 800 ranked in the world. Maybe it was the name that caught his eye or whatever it was. So he decided to roll the dice and select him. And uh, the next, he went to bed, woke up the next morning to find out that the first words of the announcers on TV saying was that Brooks Kepka had just quadruple bogeyed the first hole in the open. So uh, a, a love a love relationship was born between Paul and Brooks, um, although albeit on a painful start. But he did send me a lot of little facts about Brooks and his career. So we should give him a little bit of time on that, Brooks, because he um, he deserves it, uh, to be honest. Um, he followed his friend Peter Uline over here to the European tour. So instead of taking a few years back, instead of taking on um, the web.com tour in the States to try uh, get his way onto the PJ tour. He decided to come over to Europe, experience different types of golf courses, different countries, and uh, build his game up that way. Um, so he uh, he kind of he started out around the same time as Jordan Spieth, and they both kind of reached about world number seventy. Jordan kept going, and Brooks sort of plateaued a bit. Um, Mester Paul, Paul, this is from this is from Paul. He then faffed around number eightish for a number for about eighteen months or so, while Jordan shot up into the top ten, and very shortly afterwards won the Masters in the U.S. Open. In this time, Brooks uh, poked his head above ground and won on the PGA Tour to the Phoenix Open, and hasn't won on PGA Tour ever since. But he he kept popping up in the majors. He's got a very good majors record. So in his since twenty thirteen, let's say the Open Championship was the last major he's had he's played in that he was caught in. Since then, he has had notable results of a tied fourth in the U.S. Open in twenty fourteen, tied tenth in the Open Championship in twenty fifteen, and tied fifth that year in the PGA Championship. He was tied fourth in the PGA Championship last year, along with a tied thirteenth in the U.S. Open. Um, his US Open record was really trending nicely uh, he was tied 4th tied 18th and tied 13th the last 3 years so he has form across, and not to mention the Masters he was tied 11th this year with a blistering finish so he's got he, he seemed to have been telegraphing a big game for the big occasion despite not winning that often on tour so um, where were we now he's qualified for the Ryder Cup last year there was a lot from Paul. In fairness, uh, it, it really is a lot. Like we could re- actually might take a picture of and tweet it out for all those. Um, the, I think the thing that Paul pointed out was very beneficial for Brooks this week was the way the golf course played for him allowed him to play to his strengths: big, long hitting, big, long, accurate hitting, um, which he hasn't been doing regularly enough this year, which is why he hasn't won. So he's had lots of good scores throughout the season but has had a few blow-up holes because of some loose shots. And uh, the questionable part of his game, Paul is saying, is his uh, short game, and which would point us towards his green and regulation stat this week. And he was first in the field for greens and regulation, including 17 of 18 greens on Sunday. So all he has to do is rely on his putter to get him sorted. And when you're first in greens and regulation, and you combine that with 51st in the field for putting at 1.71 putts per green and regulation, you're going to win. And That's a lot of math. That's a lot of math, yeah, but to, to combine a 
pretty solid, a good, decent putting ranking with that high greens and regulation. It's it's just gonna it's gonna win all day long. So um, how did we miss him last week, Barry? I wrote him off uh, on the Golf Betting System podcast with Steve Bamford, so because of his quite regular blow ups on the golf course on multiple tournaments throughout this year. And it's just, uh, I didn't see him pulling it all together for this one tournament. Um, Started good things for him to come, or dare I say, um, and I, I, Brooks won't like me to say this, does Brooks trend upwards, or do he, does he trend the Danny Willett way? No, he's no Willett. Well, no. Nobody's no, uh, nobody could be a Willett at the moment. Uh, but, you know, is he going to be a guy who, who will knock on from here? Um, you know, you talk about the blow-ups. Does this give him the confidence to say, "Hey, if I you don't, I don't need these blowups. I can go off, and I'm a major winner now, so I can." Or will he enjoy being a major winner? And you know, who wouldn't enjoy being a major winner? Like, well, like it's the di- what I, you know what I mean by that. You know, the guy he seems very cool and chilled, and just you know, quite a calm exterior. So um, I, I think he, I mean, he seemed pretty relaxed when he was taking, you know, he was, when he won the tournament. I think he'll take it in stride, and I think he's got a great game. Like when you can when you can put a performance like that together, we know Will have put it together a great performance at the Masters. Um, I just think I think Brooks's game has had more consistency in its building, um, and I just I think he goes on from here. Does he win another? Uh, does he win another major? He can do. His record shows across the four different majors that he's got the ability to play in all of them, from Augusta right through to an Open Championship. So. He's got a game that travels across various different golf courses, which shows that the time he spends on the European Tour playing a wide variety of styles of golf has uh, has done him a world of good, and he can now go compete across anything. Did you see uh, Brooks uh, sticking uh, a fireball drink into the trophy? Uh, I have not yet, no. Yeah, about it's, it. out, it's out there, all right. Um, let's look at some other players. Um, Brian Harmon, Matsuyama... One thing that will give a bit of personality to Brooks, uh, which I think I thought was the funniest thing from Paul's email, was uh, he said to Google it, but I'm just going to read it out anyway and take it out of the word. He told a rules official to go fuck himself at the Open at St. Andrews um, the day the balls were blowing all over the place. Uh, apparently, the rules official told him that he wanted respect and should be called sir, to which Brooks responded in uh, a Brooks manner. So... I think that kind of gives an extra cool point, to be honest. Um, All right, yeah. so, uh, Brian Harmon, Matsuyama, Fleetwood. Um, where was the standout outside of Brooks? Where was the standout players in the rest of the field? Was it Ricky, or did he just flatter to deceive? Where was where was the rest of the story of the US Open, the, okay, well, the interest? I, wanna, I do want to talk about Ricky. Ricky was my... Big bet and big shout for the week. And well, we agreed on that last we week. We did. You know, sorry, let's not forget the. Uh, well, sorry, I forgot the. the I forgot that we agreed. <laughs> yeah, I like. What a cracking start to a tournament. Go off yeah, at sixty-five. I was so close to being like, oh, how do I spend my winnings? It was uh, a mistake. Look, I you, you do get thoughts like that. I had uh, I had a generous upside on Ricky should he win, and then he seemed to just sputter a bit over the next three days and sputtering for Ricky still meant that he finished uh, three under par for the next three days um, but it just didn't quite click the Saturday was a re- the, the Friday was a real disappointment to shoot 73 you know the course was very very playable there he's 
probably two to three shots worse than he should have been that day. And that brings in... But where... where so Where okay. does he lose it? Yeah, so I we, think we, we talk about it. the fact that he, he, he fell away. Was it the putting? Was it, was it mm, consistency? No, no, no. Was it... It was strategy. I think okay. Ricky's strategy was... I've, got, I've gone and grabbed a really good score on day one of the Open. The US Open. And what usually happens here is people can get off to a fast start in the US Open and the USGA starts to tighten in the golf course and make it tougher. And I, I bet his strategy was... Do you know what, if I can hang on to seven under here or maybe sneak to eight or nine, I can manage my rear end this course and get it. maybe nab, grab a couple more shots to par. I'm in a great position for this tournament. I think his strategy was based on how this tournament has played out historically. Fast start Friday and then progressively slowing down. Well, you can't blame him for that. Historically, that, that wouldn't Absolutely have been the not. worst strategy coming into this week. No, not at all. But you, you do have to... You can't just always rely on history. You need to play what's in front of you. And he needs to see what everyone else is doing. He needs to look at what the course is doing. And I just don't think his reaction was strong enough. But he still w- had a chance on Sunday. He did. You know, it wasn't like... But if you, you know, it wasn't... You, ah. Saturday, uh, you know, through... Okay, so Friday he goes out and maybe... I, you know, I agree with you. I, I, I think Ricky just... I don't know. I, I'm not sure whether he adapted to the changes or to the, the, the way the field were going. But he's still in contention on Friday. He's still in contention through Saturday. So if he hasn't changed the strategy at that point and he's watching the field around him going out and shooting low numbers and all of a sudden he's reading, actually, my 65 isn't... I can't do this. 7 under or 8 under isn't the score. It's now going to be 10, 11, 12 or 13 minimum. Mm -hmm. who, Who needs to say to Ricky... Ricky, you know, we talked about this coming in. This was going to be the strategy. But you know what? We're going to rip that strategy up. That ain't we're going to work. Butch needs to say it to Ricky. Butch is his coach. Butch is watching the golf, sitting there watching it, how the tournament's unfolding. He has the best idea about what's happening on the golf course, how it's flowing, how the tournament's going, where what the scoring's like. And, and all the, he's got more experience than Ricky on this. Like Butch needs to begin his ear going, Ricky, you need to push on this a bit. If you look, Ricky can absolutely crush the ball. He's averaged 297.7 yards for the week off the tee. He was 51st in driving. On Sunday, when you should be going after it, he hit a lot of three woods off the tee. He averaged 295.8 off the tee on Sunday. That's just... Rick, but Ricky, do you think Rick, that's Ricky thinking, I need to keep, I need to protect the ball because I don't want to be in that long crap? Because if I am, it's, it's a definite drop shot. Would, would you rather lose it by going for it or... But do you think he was waiting for other people to make mistakes? Is this the issue with no, Ricky this need, weekend? Was that his I mean, mindset yeah, might have been, I wait for somebody been. else to fail and I might walk on through rather than I'm going to grab it by the balls like Brooks did and well, I'm going to go win this tournament. If he did, then it's a catastrophic uh, miscalculation of how everything was going that week, over the weekend and a catastrophic error to, to not go out and grab the tournament. Because this is his chance. Like This was this another was really huge. good chance. Like A lot of the big, big names are off the leaderboard in terms of you know, you're not looking over your shoulder or looking up at the Rick, uh, the the Dustin Johnsons or you know Jay Jay or you know all of these guys. Massive there. chance. Like this is his chance, and so you're like I, I I agree with you. I think you know Butch has to step in here. Butch has to actually do more, or somebody has to get him Push. and say you got to go win it. And he, the original plan ain't working, but I, mean, I think it no. has to be Friday afternoon when he's come off the course and said, okay, look. We thought that this was going to be where we're at. We now need to relook at this and see what mm-hmm. we have to do at the weekend. And you now need to start hitting 
different types of shots so you need to start putting numbers on the you board you need to get after it a bit like and he did to be fair on Saturday he shoots four under much better good scoring but I just think overall between Friday, Saturday and Sunday it just wasn't aggressive enough and we can see what we've seen what Ricky can do when he gets aggressive he won the players last year absolutely tearing into that back nine at Sawgrass he went out grabbed that tournament and said that's mine and he or this is two, sorry, it might be two years ago now at this stage. Um, excuse my memory. Um, but he went out and grabbed that tournament. He went out and went, won it. I think he's going to be feeling kind of a bit silly at, the, at come now. If he goes out and shoots 69 or 68, if he's got a, a little bit tighter to Brooks throughout Sunday, I don't think Brooks gets to 16 under because he sees Ricky as probably... The, he's probably saw Ricky as the biggest threat to, to, to him going down this, you know, on Sunday. The biggest name on that leaderboard was Ricky Fowler. If Ricky's a bit tighter to Brooks, I think that makes Brooks swing a little bit tighter and maybe not and to quite be fair, the way. Even on Sunday, there was only a couple of shots in it at various points. Yeah. Like you know, if Ricky had maybe even you know a few holes in, started saying, "I'm just going to have to go pin seeking here," it was all a bit too conservative. Ultimately, isn't that? It was. That was really where it comes down to. And you're going to have to go and win these tournaments. They don't. You don't get to win them by playing conservative golf. I, I don't think so. Not not the way this tournament was playing out. If it was playing the way Marion was a few years ago and Justin Rose won at like one over par, if it's a lot tighter to if it's if it's a lot harder to score on, then that conservative game plan works. Conservative game plan did not work this week. You had to go out and win it and he didn't. So that's that's enough about Ricky Fowler. Who else like Matsuyama started with a 74 and then went 65, 71, 66. That is a way to get going on a tournament. Really, really impressive. Seems to have that ball, clinical ball striking back that uh, that he had towards the end of last year. Um, Just a bit too hot, too late. A little bit too hot, yeah, and a little bit too slow to start. Um, you got to give credit to this golf course as well in that it allowed different styles of play to attack it. And a supposed short, a shorter hitter like Brian Harmon was able to get up there and contend and just unfortunately had a couple of bogeys at really inopportune time coming down the stretch on Sunday. Tommy Fleetwood has got everybody excited now. He, um, he played really, really great golf. Really entertaining to watch. Personality comes across great on TV. They're going to Birkdale in a few weeks' time for the Open Championship. That's his home course. There's going to be a lot of money on him. And uh, might be worthwhile looking at an anti-post bet on him now to, before the, the money really kicks in. Um, Xander Schofield with a great performance over the weekend. Charlie Hoffman, another good performance in a major. Just, you know, actually he he shot four rounds under par. Fair play to him. Um, got misinformed on that one. Just not quite close enough. Um, some great performances uh, down there. Um, Trey Mullinax. He was a long shot outsider I had and just finished one shot outside the places. Um, plucked him from nowhere on uh, Sunday. Actually, you know, it was due to Steve Bamford's call on him a week before in a tournament. Got some good performances down down there uh, throughout the tournament, but Brooks Koepka was the one that put the four really good rounds together, and you know putting putting a sixty eight and a sixty seven together on the weekend. That's just that's tournament winning stuff. And he went out and grabbed it, and if he was somebody that won a couple more tournaments before now and had a slightly bigger profile, they people would be going on about it a lot more. He needs to get huge credit for this, and uh, nothing should be taken away from his win. He beat what was there and what was competing against him on a Sunday. And it's not his fault that Rory and uh, Jason Day and other big names hit the eject button and were gone uh, well, by sure Friday you afternoon. You've got to win the tournament. You, you know, it doesn't matter who's below you as long as you're number one. Yeah. You've beaten everybody in the field. Uh, they all teed it up uh, at, at, at 
level yeah, on the first hole and it just happens to be the way it is that that stretch of three birdies was just superb on uh, Sunday evening the 14, 15, 16 that's just it I'm grabbing that tournament um, do, do, do golf courses need to get longer though he hit nothing more than a 7 iron into, a, into the par 4s this week well I don't know if we're not going to get into this I don't know about lengthening courses I think that the pros could just be given a different type of golf ball that just shortens down the uh, down the because oh bi- bifurcation is a way longer conversation than courses but yeah so I mean, you, t- can, you yeah. can certainly look at the equipment you can look at other ways and um, we can't be adding more like we're gonna you're gonna end up like this this course could go to 8,000 yards if they wanted to eight and a half you know, thousand and yards the point that was made this week on another radio show I was listening to was if you're playing an eight thousand euro, uh, an eight thousand yard uh, course, you're never going to get round in in four hours, four and a half hours. The pro pro guys are going to be out there for a long time. Slow play is going to be a problem, and it's it's not what the cor- the longer is not what they need. They want something different. So there's yeah, there's ways to set up golf courses uh, to to negate the length a little bit and um, tightening those ferries uh, at the. This, the peak driving distance, you know, make them be more accurate if they want to hit it longer, I guess. But that's a Tournament conversation for another show. Where, where are you ranking it? Seven. Yeah, I'm a mediocre five. I still think it's... You should have watched more. No, I watched yeah. enough of it. I just, I think ultimately, I don't know, it just didn't feel like a US Open to me. It felt more like a, a, a relatively regular enough event. And I don't think it will last long in the memory. Um, I'm looking probably f- a lot of people. I'm so. looking forward to seeing like the one-hour highlights show. Uh, you know, they do the, the U.S. Open film. I want to. I'd like to see how that comes across. I have to say, I thought the coverage on the Fox did was very good. A few little quirks and things where the, the the timing of the pro tracer was out of sync with the golfer, and the the sound timing was a bit off. But you know, seeing the golfer play a shot with the pro tracer. Uh, overlaid on the right hand side in the split screen I thought that was fantastic well it makes more sense because you see yeah. the, you see the player hit the actual shot and, you see and the it pin. stays it stays with the player on mm. the tee and on the right you can see where the ball is going so yeah. you can see where on the course it's gone how far right how far left down the middle into a bug or whatever you don't really need to see when you think about it we've spent 30 years watching golf and you spend watching a lot of the time a ball in the sky yeah this way is a much better you get a much better overview of how the course is playing where they are on the hole mm-hmm. where they are in terms of their their accuracy in terms of so far left so far right i think it's great i i liked it last year or even the year before mm-hmm. when they first brought it the out. chambers yeah uh, and i think that it, it really if they rolled it out throughout most of the tournaments i'd be more than happy yeah i, th- I thought the little uh, yardage sign and showing exactly where the pin was was a great little addition is a great addition as well and CBS who do the majority of the golf coverage would be wise to take a few pointers from how golf have, uh, yeah, how Fox have done this not to. they're a bit slow no. after these I mean, events to kind of Fox integrate have, it in Fox have pro tracers out on the fairways CBS might have one or two pro tracers in strategic locations around the golf course but they were doing virtual reality golf this week yeah. at that event it's all going to change you know mm. they're now going to be we're, this time next year we might be watching golf and you know on v, VR uh, goggles and you'll be able to look anywhere look where you want walk with groups it's, well they have the little 360 camera at Sawgrass yeah. this year so it's, it's it's all coming and I like what Fox are doing and hopefully they can go push it a bit more next year um, alright be, before I forget 
I have to give a shout out to Gary Oliver, who I met down uh, in Carn on the balcony. Um, had a good chat with him. He's a listener to the podcast, Howard the Dog, on Twitter. So I forgot to give him a shout out in the Carn section of the show. Uh, it was nice to meet you, Gary. And Gary's a member down in Carn and a very lucky boy to be playing there regularly. If he had stopped listening at this point, he would be really pissed off because he would have expected it at the beginning of the program. Yeah. Uh, all right, that is the US Open. Uh, this week, we're obviously in game time already due to uh, my unavailability earlier on in the week. The BMW International Open is taking place. It's one of the uh, relatively big events on the uh, European Tour. It's a two, th- two million prize fund that's being played at the Golf Club uh, Munich. It's... Um, it has a cracking field with a tiny prize fund. I don't know. They they almost get amazing BMWs to drive for the week to attract such a great field. But um, there's some really good scoring going on this week, and we'll we'll come back and review that next week in the podcast next week. And over the, in, over in the states is it's the the Travelers Championship, mm. and I suppose a few players that uh, sometimes take this week off uh, after taking last weekend's off uh, are here. Yeah. in Jordan and a few others are, are there. Poor Harrington in game time, four under, first time back after the freak accident uh, where he was giving a lesson to a guy and uh, got hit on the elbow. On that with, with, a, with the club, yeah. So, um, um, this, is a cool, this is cool. This is as strong as the traveller has been in years because of a new PGA Tour rule where a player has to play a new tournament once every four years and that's why you have a really strong field that's in the kind of same region of the states or closer so that's why you have a lot of the big boys playing here a couple of big guys last week you know following on uh Xander is uh tied fourth at the moment four under as is brian Harmon. so a few few names from the leaderboard from last week still following through on a bit of form jordan speed hot on the front line four under anyway sure, we'll, we'll come back and review those next week all right um I suppose that's the week it was. Anybody wants to get in contact, let us know what you thought about the US Open, uh, about Brooks's win, and uh, let us know out of 10 maybe what you thought of it. Good Talk Golf is the Twitter handle of goodtalkspoiled at gmail.com. I'm James Richardson. He's Barry O'Hanrahan. Thanks a million for listening. Bye, Barry. Well, you're fine. Bye-bye.